Hello everybody, this is Christian Basar again with another episode of the Historical Thoughts and Interpretations podcast. Today is going to be a little bit different in where I'm going to talk a little bit about historiography. Not so much an historical topic per se, but a little bit of historiography. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how uh, the ethics of a religious community can be analyzed. And what I'm going to be looking at is the a little bit of the concept of labor or work in the Russian Orthodox Church. So to start off with, when we're talking about historiography, what kind of tools can be used to analyze the ethics of religious communities like the Russian Orthodox Church? Here I hope to answer this question by looking at how different scholars have investigated the idea of a work ethic in the Russian Orthodox faith. What has motivated Orthodox Russians to work? What is the essence of such an idea? Is there anything to which it may be compared? To answer these questions, we must know what sources to investigate. So certainly theological texts are important in helping us with questions about religious attitudes. But sometimes sacred texts aren't enough to provide a complete picture of how doctrine is lived out in society. A sacred text can tell you what the doctrine says, and maybe different interpretations of what that means, but to say how it's lived out, you know, not necessarily. The sacred text itself won't necessarily tell you that. After all, in the words of sociologist Ivan Zabayev, the actions of working Orthodox believers, or believers in any other faith for that matter, may not always reflect the ideals given in their religious teachings. Therefore, Zabayev says, it is desirable to conduct a separate analysis of the proclaimed and practice-based actual economic ethics. The scholarly works I've studied about this subject have also exhibited the use of comparative historiography, social analysis, and the interpretation of 19th century statistical data about old believing Orthodox believers in Moscow's textile sector. So there's all kinds of things we can use. With such information gathered through the science of statistics and readings of non-scientific texts, we are given a glimpse of both past and present Orthodox Christian views towards labor. And of course, as I said, this is not a, an analysis or a study of the Orthodox attitudes towards labor, but an historiography to help us come up with those, uh, those ideas, to come to those some conclusions and thoughts about it. To arrive at an orthodox work ethic, let us first look at the question through a theological lens. We can do this with a brief look inside G.P. Fyodotov's old book, The Russian Religious Mind. In this book, Fyodotov described the Christian ethics taught in the Ismaragd, or the Emerald. And the Emerald was a 14th century orthodox text. In his section on labor, Fyodotov notes how the Ismaragd warned its readers about the dangers of laziness. Work is given a religious significance in this old text, suggesting that the fruits of labor can be given as alms or gifts to God. Almost any kind of work, except sinful work, such as that of a ta tavern owner or a usurer, is spiritually valuable if charity is performed as a result of the work. Discipline and hard work are praised as essential virtues. And then, going forward in the early 20th century, these values became socially and nationally important as Russian thinkers endeavored to formulate an orthodox work ethic, not unlike the Protestant one, which Marx Weber had written about in 1904 to 1905. 
But these Orthodox, Russian Orthodox thinkers wanted to do it without, quote, Western individualism and materialism. Sergei Bogolkov was among these Russian philosophers, and in 1912, just seven years after Weber had come up with his um, ideas of a Protestant work ethic, Bogolkov finished his treatise called The Philosophy of Economy, Part 1. He expressed disagreement with Marxism, which was non-religious, fixated on manual labor, and held deterministic views. Bogolkov said that work has both, quote, cosmic and metaphysical significance because it creates quote, spiritual wealth. Bogolkov hoped that through Christianity, enslaved laborers would be set free from the market forces that defined the capitalistic economy. So Bogolkov was attempting to give a kind of Christian response to atheistic Marxism. There was also the orthodox concept of divine wisdom, known as Sophia. Bogolkov thought that Sophia was a creative force, a force which with the help of human work and economy, would change the world for the better. A progressivist and industrialist at heart, Bogolkov did not have a lot of faith in strict monasticism, nor its voluntary poverty to effect such a transformation. With this philosopher, we can see an effort to create a theological basis for an orthodox work ethic. In modern times, Ivan Zabayev, from whom we'd heard earlier, has conducted studies within Russian monasteries by recording interviews and living amongst the inhabitants. He chose to carry out his studies in the monasteries because they are their own, quote, economic communities. Zabayev states that public Russian society is secular, and orthodox belief may play out differently there, so trying to analyze the Russian church's work ethic would be difficult to do in these secularized public circles. Monasteries, he also says, are the, quote, moral center of orthodoxy, and monks manage and run the orthodox church. Finally, monasteries must perform their own economic activities to survive, making the orthodox views on labor very easy to study in those sites. Alongside his monastery research, Zabayev read relevant texts such as the Russian church's The Basis of the Social Concept. This document was formulated in the year 2000, and the Social Concepts' sixth chapter, entitled Labor and Its Fruits, teaches that through work, humans can be creative, as Adam helped maintain the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. After Eden, work became the means for humanity to sustain itself. The Social Concept emphasizes, however, that labor is not the epitome of man's existence, saying that work is a daily activity. But labor, the document says, has a, quote, special rhythm, citing the Old Testament Sabbath day of rest. And as living standards improved, the, quote-unquote, temptation of civilization may turn people away from God. The social concept says the following, quote, However, people's enticement with the achievements of the civilization moves them away from the Creator and leads to an imaginary triumph of reason, seeking to arrange earthly life without God. The realization of these aspirations in human history has always ended in tragedy. End quote. It seems fitting that the Russian church wrote this document a few years after the collapse of the Soviet system in Russia, which had glorified, and some might argue even idolized, labor. And it also propagated a human-centric worldview without God. Work, according to the social concept, must not be for selfish quote, egoistic interests of individual or human communities. It must also not promote sin. 
Instead, while Christians are entitled to the fruits of their work, society must provide for the sick, poor, orphans, and widows. The social concept quotes the book of uh, quotes the Bible verse Ephesians four twenty eight quote Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, in summary, the social concept teaches that labor is good if it glorifies God, does not distract from the Creator, and if it helps Christians give charity to others. Ivan Zabayev's sociological research supports the summary of the social concept. In orthodoxy, work, or economic activities, as Zabayev calls it, is not holy in itself, but it is only so when it is used to support oneself or help others in charity. Profit is not condemned, but in this faith, the capitalist amassment of wealth for its own sake is not a virtue. The goal of work is spiritual perfection in orthodoxy. Businesses should have a view to, quote, moral purpose. Through his field research in the monasteries and his reading of literature on salvation, Zabaya found that assigned work created obedience, which is part of spiritual perfection. This is especially true when one under, is under the guidance of a spiritual mentor. Obedience in the monastery and the carrying out of tasks is paramount, even if the job is counterproductive in the practical sense. And connected with obedience are humility, love, and ultimately, salvation. Salvation is not brought about through labor. This is not salvation through works but rather through spiritual perfection and the working out of Orthodox faith through the church, via a priest, for example. Work thus becomes a means to an end because one must be humble and obedient in work. As mentioned before, the social concept warned that the fruits of capitalism and civilization could tempt people away from God. In contrast, Zabayev has read the Catholic Pastoral Constitution from 1965 which is an earlier document than the social concept, predating it by 35 years. Yet, it shows a difference between Russian Orthodox and Roman Catholic views on labor. The pastoral constitution says that the work of capitalism is not opposed to that of God. It rather suggests that humanity's glory and civilization are a, quote, sign of God's grace and the flowering of his own mysterious design. Catholicism, according to this document, allows adherents to participate in the worldwide capitalist system and civilization. Now, I just want to reiterate that the social concept of, of Russian Orthodox Church did not condemn profit in itself, but it wasn't a necessarily pro-capitalist document, which the pastoral constitution from the Roman Catholic Church in the 1960s seems to be a bit more pro-capitalist. Max Weber posited that Protestant Christianity also had a different view from Orthodoxy. Weber explained in the Protestant Ethic of Capitalism that Calvinist Protestants believed that people were completely separated from God, except from those predestined or chosen for salvation. In this view, people want to know if God has selected them. Worldly success, external wealth, is the easiest indicator of predestination, according to this view. Thus, Weber suggested Protestant belief was that, quote, those who thrive in the world will be saved. The contrast between this Protestant work ethic and the Orthodox one is easy to see. While Orthodoxy promotes salvation through obedience to the Church, Weber said that in Protestantism, work was directly con connected to the assurance of salvation. 
Note again, the Protestant uh, religion, according to Weber, and according to most most uh, Protestant um, most Protestant denominations, salvation is not um, achieved through work. But according to Weber's views of Calvinism, wealth obtained through work could be a sign of the assurance of salvation, because the belief was that God would predestine someone to be saved. So we started with a little bit of theological analysis and documents produced by, by the church with the Russian Orthodox Church and the social concept, um, writing in the year 2000, mind you, said that work was valuable if it helped promote charity. And we also talked a little bit about, um, compared it just a little bit to, very briefly, to Roman Catholic views on labor and Protestant views on labor. So to move away from theological analysis, we will move to the work of Danilo Raskov and Vadim Kufenko, who studied the economic influence of old believing Orthodox in the Muscovite textile sector. This group of Russian Orthodox people originated in the mid-17th century after they opposed church reforms being enacted at that time. They were persecuted and removed from the patriarchal church due to their refusal to follow the new practices. Yet, despite this, they were financially successful and their lifestyle endured. To help them analyze this group's economic contributions, Raskov and Kufenko used a wide range of data, including reports with dates ranging from 1832 to 1890, censuses, and multiple sources from the old believers themselves. They criticized similar studies, which may have come to fair conclusions, but they were based on less data. There were problems with the report that the reports that Raskov and Kufenko used. For example, underreporting was one significant problem with which they had to deal with. For example, businesses often did not report underage or temporary workers except in 1871, and they wanted to avoid taxation by not reporting all relevant information. Two studies conducted in the 19th century suggested that the quote measurement error of these reports was around 20%. So by, you know, analyzing statistics through historical documents is never perfect. Yet it was the only avail information available to the researchers. And as well, their large data set helped mitigate these problems. They also used historic price data for, for, from another study, which helped clear confusion with turnover. Without going in too deep into their analysis, Raskov and Kufenko's research showed that the old believers had a significant role in Moscow's textile industry, especially in the wool subsector. This is despite the oppression they faced and their minority status, as they had made up of only 16% of the Moscow region's population. At first glance, one may be tempted to conclude that the old believers would not prosper in the economy. They were suppressed, as mentioned, and many of them, even today, live separate lives from the rest of the world. Some have even gone so far as to have, quote, outsider guests eat from special dishes and sleep in separate parts of the house. But we have seen that these negative factors were not enough to prevent the old believers from making an impact on the Muscovite economy. So the natural question is, why were they so successful? From economical analysis, Raskov and Kufenko return us to theology and historiography. They also mention Max Weber's work and his thesis that Protestantism heavily influenced capitalism, in that the religion encouraged the believers to work hard in the economy. Weber's ideas about Protestantism and capitalism have been criticized because some non-Protestants had similar economic ethics to the Protestants. There are also problems when using Weber's work as a lens through which to study the old believers. For example, 
The Calvinists of the 17th century opposed the idea of a church hierarchy, while the old believers did not have priests, merely due to a lack of available clergymen. The old believers also did not attain the amount of power in Russia that the Calvinists did in Western Europe. So it's kind of like using a Protestant lens to look at a group of Russian Orthodox Christians, right? So the comparison isn't quite, uh, isn't quite right. However, some comparisons are worth noting. Calvinist and Old Believer culture shared a strong sense of discipline. They were frugal, literate, and they resisted the religious hierarchy of their time. The Calvinists eschewed the Catholic Church, and the Old Believers rejected the previously mentioned church reforms. Old Believer communities also placed a high value on hard work and wise business practices. And like the orthodox work ethic of the modern monasteries and the social concept, the old believers praised those who did not work just to gain more money and goods. Finally, two centuries after the church reforms, it was evident to some old believers that the Antichrist had not yet arrived as it had been initially feared. This eased their minds about being involved in the world. It must be remembered that oppression against the old believers came in waves, and some of Russia's Tsars were lenient towards this religious group, including Catherine the Great, who reigned from 1760 to 1790. Under such rulers, the old believers could run their printing presses and received tax equality. But even under the less lenient Tsars, such as Nicholas I, from 1825 to 55, the old believer minority gained economic strength by maintaining, quote, informal networks and institutions, which governed their daily lives and established trading points between those of similar beliefs and practices. A good reputation was a capital asset, <laughs> capital asset, in these networks, and dynasties, such as the Romanovs, helped family businesses grow in the tight-knit community. Raskov and Kufenko made comparisons between the old believers and other groups, hoping to explain their situation. The Quakers of Britain and the Americas, like the Calvinists, were also similar to the old believers in some ways. They were not very well respected in all of their societies, which forced them to form strict interpersonal networks. Their business acumen, discipline or asceticism, and their association of business failure with sin have been listed as factors in their economic success. Finally, literacy was important to the old believers, which was also an important factor in Euro European Jewish prosperity. So there are some, some things that we can use. We can, even though comparisons are not perfect, as we saw with between the Calvinists and the old believers, you know, and the, obviously the Quakers and the old believers are very different, but there is some similarities that we can look at. So we have looked at three orthodox work ethics in this study. There's the ethic outlined in the social concept document, the ethic that is lived out in the Russian monasteries, and there's the historical work ethic of the old believers, a marginalized and small subset of the Orthodox population. The first, the social concept, offers a guide on how to properly think about work through an Orthodox Christian lens. The second, the monastery ethic, is formed through the understanding of theological texts in its emphasis of obedience, charity, and humility over the amassing of material goods. And the third one, the old believers were active participants in the market economy, but the priority of humble business ownership was not lost. As we've seen, some suggest that this is the opposite of the so-called Protestant and Catholic work ethics as described in Max Weber's work and the Catholic pastoral constitution. 
These ethics supposedly exalted the amassment of wealth as a sign of God's favor, and thus encouraged the development of capitalism in Marx Weber's view. Emphasizing the difference between an orthodox work ethic and those of Western Christianity, even Zabayev has even suggested that the communal nature of an orthodox work ethic uh, influenced the creation of the socialist Soviet system. So what can we learn from this? What is Christian talking about? You know, all this stuff about labor, different things and everything. In conclusion, we can see that multiple tools can be used to investigate an historical question. In this case, we have looked up uh, the work of scholars trying to find an orthodox work ethic, specifically focusing on the Russian Orthodox Church. First, the use of economic analysis is clear, such as when Danilo Raskov and Vadim Kufenko look over the economic statistics relevant to their inquiry, which was the role of old believers in 19th century Muscovite economy. But they also used historiography when they explained the old believers' conflict with the patriarchal Russian Orthodox Church and their consequent persecution. Using the findings of other studies, they compare the old believer situation with similarly historical marginalized groups, such as the Calvinist, European Jews, and Quakers. Textual critique is another tool that has been use, used to find an orthodox work ethic. And while we can look at more modern documents like the social concept, multiple anal analysts have tried to frame orthodox labor into the context of Max, Max Weber's views on Protestantism. Again, we must be, this is probably the most important um, part of this podcast, we must be very careful when making such comparisons between different ideologies and belief systems. You know, for example, not every autocracy is like all others, and not every democracy is exactly like the others. You know, communism is not a monolith, as there are variations between its different forms. You know, you can't compare, um, you know, Khrushchev-era communism uh, to Juche in modern North Korea. You know, that's not, you know, different cultures, different uh, different leaders, different people. So obviously, yes, they're, they were both communist, but there are differences. So we need to be aware of those differences. However, while such historical comparisons do not always work perfectly, they can help explain why certain historical phenomena occur and what is common between different groups. And finally, the study of theology, which very often uses textual analysis, as socialist Ivan Zabayev has done, is also important for finding how religious ideas are formed in a society. Thus, when looking at an historical question, scholars should have a tool set ready with tools that may even be outside their speciality. This way, more in-depth, wide-ranging research can be done. So here, in studying the idea of an orthodox work ethic, we looked at a bit of theology, a bit of non-theological texts, statistics, and also comparing it with other similar uh, similar groups. So while there will be no perfection in this, you know, again, is history a science or an art? <laughs> well, I think someone who is more versed in historiography can maybe help us answer that one. But these are some things we can do. We can always compare something to something else, but just be aware that they won't always be perfect. So use them to help explain something, but don't always assume that it's going to be a perfect comparison. 
Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode. That's all I have for today about historiography. So I look forward to recording the next podcast. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, everybody, I just want to say that um, it's, uh, as I've said in previous podcasts, with everything with the pandemic and coronavirus and everything just going on with, uh, you know, this is sometimes a strange world. It always has been, it all, and it always will be a strange world. But just, uh, just be good to each other. Be good to yourself. Be truthful to yourself and to others. Be good to others and be well. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you in the next one.